I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that explores a new chapter of history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're talking about the crucial role Thomas Jefferson played in the development of the world's largest library. The day was January 30th, 1815. President James Madison authorized Congress to purchase Thomas Jefferson's personal library. At the time, the Library of Congress was in dire need of books, as its own 3,000-volume collection had been burned by the British one year earlier. When Jefferson heard of the need, he put forward his own sizable collection as a replacement, an offer that was warmly received by the Library Committee of Congress. Today, many of Jefferson's books are on permanent display at the library, a tribute to one of its first and most influential supporters. The Library of Congress, or the LOC, is the oldest federal cultural institution in the United States. It was established in 1800 by the same bill that changed the nation's capital from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. The idea behind it was to provide a research library for members of Congress so they could access, quote, such books as may be necessary for the use of Congress. In practice, that meant a lot of books on law and economics, as well as dictionaries and other reference books, and a few volumes on classical history. At first, only members of Congress were allowed to use the library, but today, that privilege extends to the general public as well. The LOC catalog has also been greatly expanded over the years, a process that began with the acquisition of Jefferson's library. On August 24, 1814, British troops set fire to the U.S. Capitol building, where the original Library of Congress was housed. The majority of the library's collection was completely destroyed, and replacing what had been lost was going to be very expensive. 
At the time, most books were made in Europe and shipped to the US, increasing the cost of what were already high-priced commodities. Luckily for Congress, and ultimately for the country, former President Thomas Jefferson stepped in with a much more affordable option. By the time of the fire, Jefferson had been out of office for five years. He was retired and living full-time at Monticello, his plantation estate in Virginia, where he happened to keep the largest private book collection in the whole country. He had amassed the catalog over the course of 50 years, having bought many of the volumes himself while serving as a diplomat in France. A few weeks after the burning of Washington, Jefferson wrote a letter to Samuel Harrison Smith, a newspaper publisher and close personal friend. Jefferson mourned the loss of the library, writing, quote, I learned from the newspapers that the vandalism of our enemy has triumphed at Washington over science as well as the arts by the destruction of the public library with the noble edifice in which it was deposited. Jefferson knew that restoring the Congressional Library couldn't be a top priority for the wartime government, but he also recognized the need for such a resource, not only as a tool of Congress, but as a symbol of the intellectual life of their new nation. With that in mind, Jefferson offered up his own personal library to Congress. The purchase itself would be a formality, as he agreed from the start to accept any valuation and payment terms decided on by Congress. His one stipulation was that the library be purchased in its entirety, with no volumes excluded on the basis of their subject matter. Many in Congress recognized Jefferson's offer as the most expedient way to rebuild the library's collection. However, the bill to appropriate funds and approve the purchase did have its share of detractors. Chief among them was a Federalist representative from Massachusetts named Cyrus King. He took issue with Jefferson's all-or-nothing requirement, arguing that some of the former president's books would help spread his, quote, infidel philosophy, particularly the ones written, quote, in languages which many cannot read and most ought not to read. Despite this opposition, most members recognized a good deal when they saw it, and the bill ultimately passed with a narrow margin along party lines. When Jefferson heard his offer had been accepted, he got in touch with a Georgetown bookseller named Joseph Milligan and hired him to make an official tally of all the books in his collection. Milligan traveled to Monticello and counted all of the books by size, eventually coming up with a total of 6,487 volumes. The purchase price was set at $23,950, approximately half of the value that the books would have sold for at auction. Once the terms of the sale had been finalized, Milligan supervised the packing and transportation of the books to Washington. Most were loaded onto wagons in the bookcases they already occupied at Monticello. The process began in mid-April and lasted for about a month, with 10 wagon loads being shipped in total. The addition of Jefferson's collection more than doubled the number of volumes the LOC had lost. Not only that, it also broadened the scope of the topics represented in the library. The core subjects of law, trade, and history were still well represented, but now they were joined by volumes on philosophy, literature, mathematics, science, and agriculture. Jefferson's wide range of interests also provided a book of needlepoint designs, as well as an English-language copy of the Koran. 
Jefferson knew the scope of his collection would raise some eyebrows in Congress, but he was adamant about the importance of a well-rounded library. As he put it, quote, I do not know that it contains any branch of science which Congress would wish to exclude from their collection. There is, in fact, no subject to which a member of Congress may not have occasion to refer. Jefferson used the money from the sale of his library to settle some personal debts, but he couldn't stand being bookless for long. He quickly started a brand new collection, eventually growing it to several thousand volumes by the time of his death in 1826. Unfortunately, many of the books Thomas Jefferson sold to Congress only survived a few decades after his passing. On Christmas Eve of 1851, the LOC was struck by another devastating fire, that time due to a faulty chimney flue. Two-thirds of the collection was wiped out that night, including most of Jefferson's contributions. After the fire, the architect of the U.S. Capitol, Thomas Walter, developed a plan to repair and enlarge the library room using fireproof materials. The fully restored library was opened in 1853, but it quickly outgrew the space and was eventually moved across the street from the Capitol to its own dedicated building. Two more buildings were later added to help contain the ever-growing collection. In 1998, officials at the LOC embarked on a mission to track down the exact books from Jefferson's library that had been lost in the fire of 1851. It took some doing, but as of 2023, they've managed to source replacements for nearly all of the 4,324 volumes that were destroyed. Each book has the exact same publisher, date, and edition as its original counterpart. Jefferson's library, including the 2,000 or so volumes that survived the fire, is currently on public exhibit as part of the LOC's Rare Book and Special Collections division. You'll find it, appropriately enough, in the library's Thomas Jefferson building. Today, the Library of Congress is considered the largest library in the world, with more than 173 million items in its collection. Beyond books, visitors can access millions of newspapers, magazines, maps, photographs, films, and sound recordings, as well as digital materials, including tweets, and the personal papers of hundreds of notable Americans, including a couple dozen presidents. It took some time, but the federal government eventually came around to Jefferson's view. Now, virtually every subject you could think of is represented in some form in the library's vast collection, and the country and its citizens are all the richer for it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 